0: Hello and you're very welcome to The Week That Really Was with John McGurk and Sarah Ryan for the week ending the 13th of October 2023 and an eventful week it was. This was the week in Ireland where we had the budget, normally the biggest week on the political calendar, but that all kind of hails into ins- insignificance in terms of what happened in the Middle East this week. We're going to talk about both those stories and maybe one or two more over the course of the next hour. But Sarah, I'll turn to you first and say hello and how are you?
1: Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Um... You know, everything kind of since Saturday, everything's kind of paled in significance to the events that are happening around the world, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, I was saying to somebody earlier on today that that kind of you know obviously you can't write about the same thing every day, and I write uh, every day for Grip, and it's, but it's been quite difficult this week to kind of muster the interest in writing with other things. I mean, I was writing a piece today about the RTE, um events in the in the doll today. For tomorrow. And while I think it's a good piece, um, my heart wasn't really in it because, like, I, yeah. you know, I'm not that interested in, in, you know, it seems so piddling and unimportant compared to what's going on in the world at the moment. But we'll come to all that later on. We better start by talking about the budget. Are you wealthier? I'm not,
1: um I think I put it into one of the calculators and it was like a couple of hundred quid a year. But I do benefit from the, um, double payment of children's allowance. How oh, does that? Mm. Um. But overall, I mean, I thought that it was. I thought that the junior short books thing was a good idea. Mm. Um, I thought that the meals and schools was a good idea. And I think that it was a good idea. Like, I, I always feel like, you know, I said this last year that like budgets, you know, have kind of two elements to them. And one is the obvious economic element and the, you know, the, the like basics of money but there's also psychological elements to them and i liked the fact that they didn't give extra money to the to health because i think it's a good message
0: yeah
1: um and like that sounds like a completely absurd thing to say given the sheer volume of the budget as it is but like it's still important i like i, I still you know what i mean and then there was a lot of kind of like the media doing this thing of like oh, well, you know, let's get somebody on whose child has been waiting for 15 years for this and talk to them about how they feel about the less budget. But, like, it's 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 a nonsense because more money has been given year on year on year and it shows that that's not worked. So let's try something different. Do you know what I mean? So I think, like, I, I think that that was a good idea. Apart from that, I, I thought it was an like, real kind of non-event, really. Yeah, um, no, par-
0: part of that might have been the wider context that we, we we mentioned at the beginning in terms of the week in which it took place. I think. The week
1: yeah, for there. sure. But I also, like, I mean, I, I I think that, like, you know, the problem is that, like, with all of the talk and the self-congratulations about, ha- about how much money we have and how much surplus we have here, whatever, they made a rod for their own back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that, like, ultimately, it was kind of a conservative budget that didn't do much of anything for anyone in particular. And so people were kind of grumbling about it. And ultimately, there was no banana skins in it, but there was nothing particularly inspired either.
0: I mean, from, from my perspective, I was I was looking at it and I was obviously paying attention to it as it happened. Um, And I want to say I agree with you. And I wrote a piece today. I, I think the school book scheme is sort of inspired i think there might be a sting in the tail because i think it gives the state more control over what those books are and some parents might want to watch out um you know if they have concerns in that area on certain subjects you know the this it probably gives the state more control over the curriculum is the side effect these things never come totally free but in principle i thought it was a good move because it's a way of putting money into people's pockets that shouldn't really distort the marketplace because the same number of books can be bought regardless of who pays for them right so so it's just it's just transferring money back into parents pockets and i thought in that respect as a sort of economic support a very good and very clever idea yeah. but i have to say overall like they spent an additional 14 billion euro they um they they broke their own budgetary rules um they went beyond the spending limits and i'm not really sure what they accomplished for the country i mean they spent an awful lot of money in an afternoon um i'm not really sure how they spent it and I don't mean that. I mean, obviously I can break down you know, the extra departments yeah. that the extra money is going to, but there, there isn't a single problem that the country had on Monday that it didn't have on Wednesday. Um, and I, 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 when I look at government, and, and, I, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, the lack of imagination is incredible. I mean, I, 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 I would like to think that were I running the government, and I never will be, thank God for most people, but were I running the government, I would be inclined to say, let's look at a very big problem muster all these resources and try and solve it. So if I've got 14 billion to spend, let's take 10 billion of it and say we are going to enact an all hands on deck plan to fix housing, for example. Um, now it might not work, but it will show some imagination to improving the country with the public finances. Whereas I kind of think when I look at the budget that I see um Asher just everything tick over, give everyone a few extra quid, hope they're members when they vote. But the fundamentals of the country aren't changed in return for a vast amount of money being spent. And I think that's sort of depressing, I think.
1: yeah. I mean, yeah, like I think you know like there's, there's the 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 skill book scheme, like you're right, it's a good idea and all of that, but like in the grand scheme of things, it's a really pretty small amount of money. Yes. and you know it's the it's one of the leading thing noteworthy things in the budget which in and of itself tells you what you need to know about the budget if you know what I mean like it shouldn't be that big of a deal it should be a kind of a small initiative as part of the overall education b- budget that's a kind of a nice story but not that big of a news story but it featured heavily because there was you know it was a kind of a like when you say a kind of a continuity budget like a budget that kind of just keeps things ticking along. But like I said, if you've told everyone how well we're doing and how much spare money there is knocking around, can you really do that politically? Is that a smart thing to do? And I think that they gave their the opposition a lot of, you know, a lot of fodder to to de- to to complain about.
0: Mm. And they
1: didn't they needn't have. Do you know?
0: Yeah, although the opposition complaints were mainly that I saw of the nature of all opposition complaints for every budget, which is we would have spent more and taxed less and made everyone better off. Well, and obviously. They, like there's, there's a, you know, I think the country, I've, I've thought for some time now that I'm obviously not going to pretend to be some sort of mega fan of this government, but I I actually think the bigger problem in the country is opposition and the lack of it. The, and, and not the lack of opposition because there's opposition there, but the lack of any intelligent opposition. Like we saw during COVID, um, where the the opposition was basically like, whatever you're doing, do it 10 times more. On on climate change, whatever you're doing, do it 10 times more. I mean, there, the, the opposition in this country sort of amounts to, we would do the same stuff as the government, only harder. Um, and that, and you know, the, when you look around the political um, sphere, and by the political sphere, I mean the people who are likely to form the next government. Obviously, there are some people out there with good ideas. I'm not going to include Michael McDowell, for example, in, in what I'm saying here. Yeah, but when you look around the the political sphere at the opposition and say, "Where is your alternative vision for the country that isn't just spending more money?" It, it's not there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I, I I listened to um Louise Louise Riley or is it Louise O'Reilly from Sinn Fein, and you almost could have scripted like they 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 for for opposition, they seem tired. Do you know? Yeah, like you could have scripted what she was going to say before she even came on. And then there was a couple of times she said things, and I'm not quoting her, but the gist of what she said was, well, they have just taken a Sinn Féin idea and kind of ran with it. And it's like, then how are you still moaning about it? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it was kind of like, and I think, you know, and again, like, it kind of goes without saying that I'm not a Sinn Féin fan or whatever, but I think Louise Roddy is, you know, quite bright and like, you know, she's, she's a... You know,
0: very I don't good, know, very good, very good media performer. Whatever. But she's a
1: very good media performer, and she's kind of, she's kind of, she command like she's kind of respect. Like why do I? She kind of, I have a bit of respect for her. She stands up for herself. She's kind of good, and you know, she's a strong media performer, as you say. And I thought she was kind of weak because I she felt, and 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 so did some of the other Sinn Féin people who were on different things that I saw they seem kind of tired. Like These are guys who are supposedly preparing themselves to govern. Like, yep. It doesn't... You don't feel that energy. Now, you don't feel that energy from anybody else either. And they're kind of... So you're right that they're kind of getting away with it for that reason. Everyone in there is tired. But like, you know, it, it was all a bit like these speeches could have been written three weeks ago and they still would have had the same content before they'd even seen the budget.
0: Yeah, and the other thing that depresses me is, like, I think if you had a Sinn Féin Labour Social Democrat government, for, for argument's sake, delivering this budget with a Fianna fail Gael opposition, I don't think there'd have been much different in it. I really yeah. don't. I think it would have been the same budget, and we'd be listening to this. We'd be listening to people moaning about it, except they'd have, you know, be the Finnegalers and the Finnabollers moaning about it. Like the thing is that the political system is so consensual now, so con- so um consensus based that mm-hmm. you know there's there's really not that much there to get excited about. I mean, yeah, the, yeah. You, they put another four billion into some climate change fund. You know, and I don't
1: cool. think that um, I don't think that you know, we said this before, that that whole scaring oh, if Sinn Féin get in, all the businesses will leave, I just don't think that really works anymore. It, um, do you it, know what it, I mean? Like, I just don't think that, like, people really buy that as much anymore. It's not enough of a reason for a lot of people I know to not vote Sinn Féin, unfortunately, but, like, it's just all a bit, it's all a bit consensus-based, as you say, and it doesn't really feel like anymore like, that much would be different. And that's a really big problem for the likes of Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil. Mm.
0: Um,
1: And by the way, um, when we were discussing last week, was it the poll that came out? We completely forgot to mention the social (gasps) And I had a couple of people say it to me. They were like, you guys discussed a poll and you didn't even. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that we both forgot that the social Democrats existed, which is so bad, but like so telling.
0: To be fair, I think either ninety four or ninety six percent of the response to that poll also forgot to mention touche
1: so touche. But, but we're not alone. But it was interesting because, um, I didn't. Now I'm sure, obviously, she did. But like, I didn't like notice anything groundbreaking from their leader on the budget and. She, the polling that bounce that they got when she became leader is now gone and was that just a kind of a like a kind of a flash in the pan thing or what's going on do you think
0: i think it was uh she's a good looking young woman that's that's uh, and she's fresh and she's a new face and god we want a fresh new face i think that's what it was but she 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 hasn't really capitalized on that momentum. Like, there's been no sort of Social Democrat vision for the country because the Social Democrat vision for the country is just the Labour vision for the country. It's just the Sinn Féin vision for the country. It's just the Green Party vision for the country. So there's no... I mean, I think people out there are genuinely looking for something different. Not necessarily people will say, oh, it's McGurk on a new party in the centre-right again. No, they're just looking for something different. Uh, you know, uh, could be on any flank of politics, but but something that sounds different... Something that appears to have sort of fresh ideas. You know, something that has a bit of energy. And, you know, I look at Holly Kearns and I don't see a whole lot of energy. I and mean, she she doesn't convey it when she speaks. When she speaks in the doll, she she often comes across as a backbencher reading script that somebody else has written for her, which and I'm sorry that you can get away with that as a backbencher, but I don't think you can as a party leader. I think you have to be seen to be somebody with your, your own ideas and ability to convey them. So i i i just think people were initially interested in something new something exciting and then found that it wasn't particularly new or particularly exciting that's my theory.
1: well it, it was pretty sh- it was pretty short-lived i mean even in political terms that was only what how, how long is she there now
0: maybe eight months something like that i think it was
1: that oh, that long okay
0: yeah no no she's been there a while i i, I could be wrong don't quote me on that uh, if you're listening but it's definitely it's longer than six months anyway
1: well, it's very, it just feels very reminiscent of the Ivana Bacic thing as well, that it's like this big, big, huge Great White Hope thing. And then it just fizzes away. And I'd love to know what the phenomenon is there. Like, you know, is it that you, you want to be leader of the party and then you realise, then you go into the kind of weeds on, on organisational stuff? Or is it that, you know, the journey is more interesting to the media and then they kind of lose interest in you once you're there? Like, I just think it's a kind of a, it's the second time now in a year or two that this seems to be happening, where there's a bounce and then it just all fades away. And that's,
0: I don't know. Well, the Social Democrats and Labour shouldn't be two parties. That's the first thing. Cause I mean, they are functionally identical in every respect. I mean, mm-hmm. what are the differences between the two parties? I mean, you could probably point to some policy paper somewhere that's slightly different on drug criminalization or something like that. Uh, yeah, but Nobody
1: in the public actually cares. Right? Yeah,
0: no, nobody cares. I mean, they, they are functionally the same. Vote one is purple, the other is red, but they both do the same thing. Um, So there's no differentiation on, on either of their behalf. And they're also, by the way, both functionally identical to the Green Party. Those three parties exist in the same space in Irish politics, exchange voters at different elections, but the next election, a lot of people who vote Green will go Labour or Social Democrat or something further to the left because they're disillusioned with the Greens, and then election after that a lot of them will blow back to the greens. That's just it's that section of the electorate that's maybe 10-12% of people who want to vote for the soft left.
1: Um um
0: yeah. and, and and there's no no interest in those parties outside of that 10 to eleven percent of the electorate um and a lot of those people who vote for them work in journalism by the way so so they get disproportionate attention as well yeah that's
1: true yeah um, like I mean obviously I have my you know, everyone has their own circles or whatever. But you know, I have circles of friends who come from all different types of political viewpoints, and I've never had anybody talk to me about the Social Democrats.
0: No, you're not going to. <laughs> I suspect. I mean, I I think she's uh she she's Holly Kearns is is a very presentable person, but I just think the issue there isn't the isn't the pre- presentation. It's the content. It's it's just it's very bland what are you going to get that's different um, and, and Sinn Féin I think are being very successful because the one thing that they offer which is a bit different is the wave of sulfur and the wave of cordite it, putting them into office feels like making a big change and feels like kicking the system really hard because of their past and their background but it doesn't necessarily they're also at the same time now safe enough that you can you can go for the kind of feel of doing something really big and rebellious without actually shaking the system up too much
1: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of that um, about. Um, although I thought, speaking of the whiff of sulfur and cordite, because we might as well talk about it. Um, I
1: knew I knew, you're, I knew that you were going to do that segue there. I knew.
0: Yeah, but I think Sinn Féin's an interesting place to start. Yeah, it is. Because their performance this week has been bizarre. I mean, as, as, as little children are being gunned down in the south of Israel, the Ogre Sinn Féin account was tweeting a picture of a Palestinian flag with a fist in the middle of it. Um, we had various Sinn Féin accounts tweeting things like glory to the Palestinian resistance as women were being carted away on the backs of trucks. Um, and then by the middle of the week, when the extent of the atrocities became fairly bad, uh, you had Mary Lou McDonald condemning Hamas on Radio 1. So obviously they are, they're, they're no longer as committed to the Palestinian cause absolutely as they were last week. Um, like it's a fascinating example in real time of how that party um, is, I think, over time, slowly trying to ditch its base of activists who are still the same people they were in 2000, 2001.
1: Well, they still have little Chrissy Andrews, you know, remember him with the fake Twitter account? Yes. Um, he's still, like, flying the flag for that, but I don't know, I mean... I think that, you know, this, this I was, I was pleasantly surprised to see Mary Robinson come out and say these are war crimes. This, you know, and to suggest otherwise is a mistake. You know, like this, it's it's nothing to do with, like, what side you're on or whatever. There's a level of of of, of anti-human behaviour that's just grim. I had to like I really found this week to be heavy going on the mental health if you spent any time on social media between the depression of people just like absolutely ripping each other to shreds because one's calling the other a nazi and one's calling the other pro israel or whatever they are and then just the sheer volume of horror and videos and whatever i there was just days this week i i gave it a rest to be honest
0: I sympathise with you on that one. I mean, I was close to doing the same myself. I did something I very rarely do, which is I put put a flag in my social media profile. I I wouldn't, I didn't do that for Ukraine, didn't do it during COVID, any of that stuff. But I, I really did feel, given the the brutality of the attack and the brutality of some of the responding on social media, I thought it was important to uh, show my colours, as it were, mm-hmm. even though they're not my colours. Um, I think it's important to say that. I mean, I, I I'm no fan of. What the Israeli government does with with um, illegal settlements in the West Bank, for example, I think it's I think it's just flat wrong what they do mm. there. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: and I, I, before this week, I would have said that while I'm a, a great friend of Israel, been there, visited the country, I think it's a great place. I yeah. would have said that from time to time their security um, measures are heavy handed. But I think this week we saw why. I mean, these people talk about, oh, Gaza is an open-air prison. What they mean by that is that it's walled off from the rest of Israel with a 10-foot high security fence and there's only two crossings people can go through. This week we found out why. You know, if you are an Israeli citizen living in southern Israel um, near the border, you need that fence. Because the moment it comes down, as we saw this week, this is what happens. Um, And to... I mean, if you, if, even if you are somebody listening to this who's still pro-Palestinian, if, if what happened last Friday didn't give you some understanding of why the the Israelis take the security approach they do, then nothing will. Um, I mean, and the other thing that really offends me, by the way, is, is this reverse racism against Palestinians that gets thrown out all the time, which is, oh, they were driven to it. I saw somebody this week say that um, it, it's the equivalent of the Japanese internment camps that the Americans set up in World War II. Do you remember those? hmm where, where Japanese citizens were rounded up and interned. And it's desperate. They're kept in open-air prisons and, and they're not allowed to move around and their human rights are abused. But do you know what the difference is? Nobody in a Japanese internment camp broke out and murdered loads of people in the American farmland around them. And to suggest that the inevitable reaction of, of, of human beings to being in that situation is to become murderous and to murder their 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 fellow human beings and to murder babies in that way so it, it is to me a form of racism that suggests that people can't control themselves that there's there's, there's no hope these people i mean the same people are upset that the Israelis uh, referred to Hamas as animals, saying it was dehumanising language. I think it's dehumanising when you suggest that it's utterly inevitable that the people in Gaza are going to act in a murderous and barbaric way towards their Israeli neighbours. Uh, or,
1: or or raping, like that. that's part of, the, like, should be viewed in the wider context or whatever. Like, that kind of talk is just, I mean, God, it's amazing how much the woke stuff slips away and how fast it slips away when people when stuff like this happens. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like, like, I I, also, you know, give gave a huge amount of thought this week equally to the, you know, people who are, you know, in Gaza, who are going to get absolutely annihilated by Israel. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's not like It's nothing to do with who I think or what I think. But there's just a level to some of this that was just so violent. It was scary. It was like, you know, Game of Thrones level, you know, stuff. And like, I know people will say, attack us and say, oh, well, this happened before and whatever. But like, we we, we surely can all agree that none of, it's all a horror show, you know what I mean? Like.
0: (laughs) It, it, it but, is. It, it, it is all a horror show. But, I mean, like, peace takes two sides. It needs two sides. Yeah. I mean, I saw somebody today say, you know, Israel should withdraw to its 1948 borders, which, I mean, first of all, you know, that would not be acceptable because the reason Israel expanded its 1948 borders is because when it was in those borders in 1948, all its Arab neighbors attacked it at once in an attempt to wipe it off the face of the earth and get rid of the Jews occupying the holy land. Yeah. When they were within those borders so those borders didn't grant them security there's this this idea that israel withdraws from way back to an unsustainable point of view and uproots millions of its citizens to do that that you know then there'll be peace no there won't i mean you have to go back 50 years to show that that wasn't acceptable either hmm. um so i mean a lot of it uh, but the thing that really bothers me is the way people and it's a very bad disease in ireland they, they, they assume that only one side has responsibility for ending the conflict. So they, they shout about how is, Israel has cut off the power and water into Gaza. Brutal. Wouldn't have been my way of fighting a war, I have to say, but that's what they did. But Israel has also said that they will turn those back on again the moment the hostages that were taken by Hamas are returned. And yet I haven't seen one Irish politician who's taking a sort of Israel is the big bad approach say Hamas should return those hostages. Yeah. Hasn't happened won't happen because only one side is accountable um, in in Ireland for its actions.
1: But do you not think as well, and like I'm the same as you, like I've been to Israel and and, you know, like loved it and and, you know, like I I, but I would never for a moment consider myself to be anywhere even close to an expert on this conflict um, because I think it's very complicated and very long and I think that there is more than any other issue in the world i feel like this conflict is something that a huge amount of irish people me i've been growing up in the last you know 15 years or so people my age who who think they're some kind of expert on this and who have an unbelievably like incorrect view of the entire thing and are you know it, like i've felt for a long time and i remember having this conversation with my dad a few times where i felt very strongly that you know real anti-Semitism is one of the last acceptable forms of racism in people of my age and I've seen it with my own eyes over the years and it's just kind of like yeah well it's okay because I disagree like I, like I think that there's a huge amount of couch experts or whatever that term is on this conflict and if you actually speak to them for a couple of minutes and ask a couple of questions or delve into it they actually don't really know what they're talking about at all
0: yeah and by the way there's a huge anti-Semitism problem on the right I mean yeah uh, just go look at my social media replies this week. I mean, I, you know somebody. I mean, I, th- there are very intelligent people who 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 will write to me and say I'm wrong on various issues. And very very intelligent people have written to me this week to say I'm wrong on this issue and hmm. take explained their pro Palestinian position in sort of awful and humane terms, and I respect that immensely. But then there are the others.
1: They're also right about loads of it. This is the thing. They're right about loads of things. Yep. They're just not right about everything.
0: Nor, nor am I, nor are you. Yeah, that's, exactly. that's the nature of being human. But then yeah. there are the others. There there are the people who come into your replies, who start talking about the Rothschilds, who start talking about uh, Jewish control of banks and yeah. Jewish control of the media. And and they're, they're out there, and they're out there in quite large numbers. I saw somebody who I you know previously respected this week, Um, Respond to the European flag being posted, the Israeli flag being posted on the European Parliament with a tweet asking, Who controls the banks? Who controls the media? This is somebody who I I thought was a relatively sound person, uh, somebody who I've met. Um, It's out there and it's it's rampant. And I think on, on the right, sometimes it shows its face more directly because on the left, they cloak it in languages of oppression and hierarchies of oppression and, you know, who the privileged are and who the privileged aren't and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think that there's there's both, like, both sides have it, and I think there's also, you know, like, lots of people who are extremely passionately pro-Palestine who aren't uh, anti-Semitic at all. They're just, this is their thing and that's fine, but I don't know, I just think, like, it's also, you can still be extremely passionately pro-Palestine and still have, you know, compassion... And like, you know, like an, an awareness that there is a group of people who are hurting. I mean, like I said, like I just had to stop watching, even up like today, like just like the news, Sky News. I had it on in the kitchen, like interview after interview of people whose families have been wiped out or who are watching a phone, a mobile phone of a loved one pinging in from this middle of Gaza, hoping that their kids might be with like. You know what I mean? Like horror. Like I said to Keith, like literally a type of hell this is. And that doesn't mean like you can just sit for a moment and say, you know what I mean? Like I was driving on Monday and my kids um, do swimming classes on a Monday, which they absolutely hate. And Monday is just hell. I have to drive them. They scream. They don't want to go. It's a a nightmare. (laughs) And I remember I was just like, I, I'm i losing the plot driving along in the car or whatever and all of a sudden I was just like you know I just thought like there's people in the world right now who give anything to be arguing with their kids about swimming lists mm-hmm. do you know what I mean and like I can like feel that very like deeply in my soul as a mother of three children without having to uh, like agree with anything that anybody else has ever done and I and I just think that that when people get so caught up in being right and being on the right side of things they forget about that
0: i mean some of the stuff has struck me this week that there's been there's been a lot of deep unpleasantness online but very few people are online so mm.
1: you know you
0: can you can write that off as a sort of madness that infects people uh, on the internet so there was stuff but there was that awful saga all week about whether or not babies were beheaded and yeah. some people, some people who seem to take the view that uh, if the babies were simply shot, then you know, to,
1: yeah, I know
0: what are you on about? They they didn't bed and they only shot the babies. You know, that that kind of that kind of weirdness. But what struck me was was the 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 scale of the vileness that happened offline. We had the scenes in Australia of a large gang of people standing outside the Sydney Opera House chanting "gas the Jews." And you had you didn't see the video from London of the of the
1: woman yeah
0: a woman going around sticking yeah. her phone in, in in people's faces if she suspected they were Jewish asking them if their boys were dead good good yeah. and and the other thing there was a tweet from one of the one of the Amer- one of the stars of um, what's that program Stranger things who's a young young Jewish child actor who posted something about Israel um, and why he was standing with them as an American Jew. And, and there were like 49,000 quote tweets, the overwhelming majority of which were utterly vile. And all of them seemed to come, and I'm just noticing this here, all of them seem to come from young women in their 20s or teens. Like, there was a degree to which vileness became acceptable this week. Um, and It's very unsettling. I mean, if you compare it to 9-11, for example, the reactions are incredibly different. And and it's not a bad comparison, because there there are a lot of people who would have said in the years leading up to 9-11 that American foreign policy was hugely misguided in much of the world, and there was a cause and effect that was an argument you could make. But it wasn't made the week after the attack with the kind of joy that some people were taking in in the both the real world and the internet, but the fact that this has happened. I think that's very unsettling. I think it's deeply unsettling. Yeah. Um yeah. so yeah, it's been it's been it's been a week where I I've felt a little bit shaken by it, I have to say, um even though it happened on the other side of Europe and didn't affect me. Um I have felt shaken by it. Um, because I just think I just think the world and civic discourse is in a bad place at the moment.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, like at at the end of the day, like you know people will people will get caught up in 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 politics and talking about this and talking about that but then really like 99.9 percent of the the time if you sit down with another human being and you talk to them the things that matter to them are their family their children their husband or wife or whatever and so you know you can like you can get caught up in a, a kind of a like all of the noise around this, but the fundamentals are there that like this is a huge like annihilation of humanity, of children, of uh, 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 like treatment of human beings that is just, you know, and and on both sides. And it's something that will, you know, this is going to I, I, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know what the plan is here. I don't know how it's going to end. Like, you can't, you know, there doesn't seem, Israel don't seem to have any kind of plan really far beyond just vengeance. Like, I don't know where this will go or end, but it will, you know, it'll be in history books as, you know, like a a, a really horrific event that has happened. And as you said, babies, like babies beheaded or babies, like, you know, I mean, are we really... (laughs) You know to, like...
0: to 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 put it in context, Israel has eight million people and a thousand two hundred people were killed last weekend. Can you imagine if I mean the Oh the, the equi- hard one? The, like, yeah, let's be honest. Yeah, That's so, only, yeah so so far. But the equivalent would be if at the height of the troubles the UVF or the UDA had sent busloads of gunmen across the border into the Republic and killed eight or nine hundred citizens, including children, on a particular day. I mean the you it's know, it's it, it's some people compare it to the northern irish conflict but i mean nothing on this scale ever happened here um it's 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 almost unprecedented um and it's just that.
1: getting it's just getting started really mm-hmm. i mean like like i said like where's where what's going to happen now what's going to happen for the next week two weeks six months god knows this will be the, the, the 1200 or whatever the like, the death toll
0: will be monstrous. It will. And on both sides, we should say that, because there are a lot of... Of pal- of course, there, it, there, course there, on both sides. There, there are two million people in Gaza. Um, it's a very small area. It's not much bigger than sort of if you draw a line. People from this neck of the woods will know if you sort of draw a line out from Dundalk and down as far as Drogheda and back in, that's that's roughly the size of the Gaza Strip. It's a very small area of land with two million people in it. They don't and have that place to go. And there's, but, and,
1: and, and there's a lot of, you know, already and will be more like children in Gaza who will die for like innocent people will die from Israelis. You know what I mean? Like, so like the whole thing is just a horror show and it's it's not, you know, there was things I was saying to Keith earlier on, like when the war broke out in the Ukraine, there was things on social media that I, you know, and it felt like really particularly violent, you know, like there was videos of this and that and I never I never watch any of that stuff. I was exposed to near partially exposed to one of those beheading videos when I was a teenager from, you know, Iraq or somewhere and um, or Afghanistan. And um, I was traumatized enough. So I never watch anything like that. But I remember thinking that, you know, the, the scale of violence in the Ukraine seemed like really, you know, like very, very high. And this is just on another level.
0: Exactly. I mean, as bad as the Russians are, they're pretty bad. Um, they've never been accused of anything like this. Um, but is, is, is Islamic terrorism is on another level. I mean, in terms of the beheading children thing, I'll just note that a couple of years ago in Syria, uh, when ISIS were, were, were fighting the Syrian government, um, I don't know whether it was ISIS or one of the rebel groups that the Americans armed that were fighting against ISIS, but like there were children as long, as, as young as five beheaded in public for crimes. Like, and this was recorded, and the video footage is out there. Um, and, I mean, it is it is something that is that happens. I mean, the, the idea that it's, that it's beyond the pale or nothing that bad could have happened, somebody would have had to make it up. I mean, it has happened in the past. Um, that's important to note. I mean, ISIS, Hamas, all, all those groups, they, they operate off the same rough sense of the world. Um, so if you think the tales of horror are overblown, probably aren't paying enough attention.
1: Oh God, I don't want to pay any more attention than I already am. Like, it's just... I think that, like, it's... I mean, I know it seems cowardly, but sometimes I I just think... Like, because I, I think, like, I have three children and I think... Really, yeah. sometimes I just have to like turn it off and say the only the only power I have in the world is to is to, is the lives of the three children that I have in my house. And I can't think about it too much because it just is so distressing. Mm-hmm. And I know they'll say, oh, don't turn away. And, you know, you should look. But this week has really tested my mettle on, on that front, to put it that way.
0: Well, look, we've talked it through as much as we can. So uh, you were telling me beforehand, because I'll tell you something, there was something in news this week I didn't pay much attention to. Um, which uh, you were telling, me you paid attention to, which is the Tina Satchel case, uh, where the cops seem to have made a breakthrough after three or four years. Um, it seems fairly significant.
1: Well, in fairness, now, and we would um we we wouldn't be shy about crit criticizing the guardy, but to be fair, so Tina Satchel went missing in twenty seventeen. So what are we now twenty twenty three? So six years ago Mm. and um the guardie have just like you know obviously not at, at the time she her husband went out he didn't he didn't um he didn't um go to the police and say she was missing for four days because well for reasons kind of not that have never been really clear but um he thought that she'd gone to visit family she hadn't or whatever and um you know her cards were never used. Her he said that there was money missing, but her passport was never used. Blah blah blah. And um, he did a couple of interviews, um, the Late Late Show and a couple of other things. And um, he was open about the fact that he said that the police uh, suspected him, but that it was absolutely nothing to do with him. And um, he um, the guardy have like clearly been relentless for the last few years, and and you know, really like interviewed over four hundred people or interviewed over one hundred and seventy people. And you know, followed all these lines of inquiry and basically um they're from Y'all and a property in Y'all was was sealed off on Tuesday and um there was forensic people there or whatever, and then um a body was removed today, I think, and a man has been arrested. So
0: He's um, been released without charge, though so we should say that.
1: But a man was released was released or, or without charge, but then Arrested again. Was my understanding. Is that not right? Oh,
0: okay. Okay. I'll I'll, I'll um, go with your understanding.
1: No, I could be wrong. Um, but, um, anyway, in fairness to them, like you know, we would we would we would criticise them about different things, but they've really, you know, done their overwally here, and they seem to have chased down a, a conclusion for her family. And God love them. Like her family had been relentless in in releasing statements over the last 6 years and saying you know like that that she's still missing and um um yeah i just checked it there and a man was re- arrested today so um anyway um so for her family hopefully they'll get some some closure and you know well obviously we have to wait and see what happens but if there was some kind of foul play involved it just seems likely if somebody's if there's a body that's been buried um on a property, and um, that she gets some kind of justice, but like closure for her family at the very least, because I just think it's a form of torture for people in never knowing, mm-hmm. um, and like fair play to the Guardi, they seem to have chased it down.
0: The in fairness to the Guardi, they are very good actually with cold cases. I mean, they, they did solve one earlier on this year. and, and... Forgive me I can't remember the, the lady's name but a lady who was murdered I think in the in the late 1980s and they finally brought her killer to justice um earlier this year um i i I, I think that's something that really speaks well to them because over the last few years there have been a number of these cold cases that they've they've suddenly got new leads on and and brought people to justice i mean i I think the Guardi uh i'll I'll say this I think they're Probably our best public service. I think the difficulty with them is how they're used. I mean, they they haven't been used to police large parts of Dublin when they they should have been. There's been a shortage of members. There's a you know the, there's a there's a focus in the Arachus for whatever reason on them to investigate things that I really don't think are within their purview, like who's attending what protests or what people are saying about transgender people on the internet. But when it comes to the actual major crimes. They do tend to get results, and they do tend to stick with investigations for the long haul.
1: Yeah, I mean, Graham Dwyer, for example, was convicted on. I mean, if you actually like looked at that case, like the improbability of him being caught was huge, and he was only caught because a detective just like wouldn't, pretty much wouldn't let it go, and then there was this low watermark because of a of a lack of rainfall and her the victim's keys were found just by this detect like you know what i mean it was like a series of 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 of, of things but it was like just proper good old fashioned police work that made that you know that that made him get caught so to be fair you're you're right like there's some good work there and good detective work and like how they're used and and where they're utilized and and you know and 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 they're kind of public public persona takes a hit because of things that are beyond their control. But when it comes to detective work like this, to be fair, like credit where credit's due, I think that they're they're doing they're doing good work and this is a good example of it.
0: Yep. No doubt there. Um so anything else happened this week that caught your eye?
1: Not really. I mean there was a there was <laughs> there was plenty to be doing and not a lot of good news, you know, like not a lot of um not yeah. a lot of to be positive about this week unfortunately um i was despite
0: despite your tax cuts and your extra children's allowance at christmas which you're very welcome by the way i'm obviously paying some of that even though i don't get any of it being childless as i am so you're welcome Um, well i
1: think that for a lot of people like and you know like i'm not in this bracket myself thankfully but there's a lot of people who really 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 struggle with christmas and, yeah. you know, that extra money before Christmas for a lot of people. And, and you know, I know that people talk about means testing children's allowance and all that. But sometimes people are a lot, you know, a lot less wealthy than they look, if you know what I mean. And I think that, you know, there's people who have tracker mortgages that have gone up and who have, you know, like they look like they're kind of wealthy and their cash flow isn't great. So, yeah, I think that it's it's like it's a good you know, for people to get that extra money in the lead up to Christmas and, you know, spend it on their kids, hopefully. And 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 like I'm I'm all for that.
0: I think well, well this is why if I was in the government I wouldn't have given I would not have given anyone a tax cut. Um and, and let me finish that before I sound like Scrooge. I would have given them a tax rebate instead. I would have said rather than giving you eight hundred euro over the course of a year in your paycheck at whatever that is, twenty quid a week or whatever works out over the course of a full year. Um, we're going to send you a check for 800 euro in the first week of january your tax back i mean we already do that there's a, there's a procedure for getting your tax back if you've overpaid it um yeah. i think that should have, I, th- I i think i would do it that way i think i think you get more votes um i think it would make your tax revenue as a state more stable and i think it would make much more difference to people's lives if at that time of year whether straight before or straight after christmas my preference would be straight after because i think from my experience, I think a lot of people's experience January is is worse because you kind of don't mind if you're spending money in the lead up to Christmas because it's a time of good cheer. But I, I would, I would, I don't know why government doesn't send people out a check in January saying this is this is what you got from the budget here it all is in one go and um, pay off your credit card bill. You know, put it to the fact that you're skinned because payday is until the thirty first of January, which is the the day of the year that never seems to come. Um. I think that's what I would have done. But this is what I mean when I think politicians don't have imagination sometimes.
1: I mean, um, you say you're never going to be in government, John, but when you talk like that, it may, it seems like a shame to me. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, because I just feel like, what go, go why, not, why not go for it? Like, right? time the check to come a week before a general election.
0: I mean, you could do that too. I mean, I think that's a bit too blatant. Or the old electioneering, but you could always contrive to suddenly have the doll fall apart in February after people have gotten their checks, which you announced the year before. You know, so you—you yeah. you, I mean there, there, are, there are ways of there are ways of doing that. Um, but I think I think the government that did that would make people feel that it did more for them in uh, a single go than the same government that, that gave them a bigger tax cut over the course of every week. Because the, I think this is the thing, I and mean, when I say that they spent fourteen billion and accomplished not much of anything. Um, is that you, you don't really, I think, at the risk of sounding horrendously privileged, because I'm sure there are people out there for whom the extra 10 or 20 quid a week can make a huge difference and more power to those people. But I think for the kind of middle class people who, who who, the government relies on to vote for it, I just don't think, especially a family with two or three quids, uh, two or three kids, I don't think 20 quid a week goes a whole, whole way towards making their lives significantly different. I mean, if, if I'm massively out of touch on that, tell me in the comments and I'll apologize next week. But I, I, I that's what I think.
1: I think for some of them, I mean, I, I, there's no universal thing there. I think for some of them it does and some of them it doesn't. But I don't think that it's, I don't think that it's, you know, like meaty enough to inspire anybody, if you know what I mean. Like, I think that the summit will matter for and, and right. But if it if 20 quid extra a week really matters to people, well, then it should have been more. Do you know what I mean? Like, and as you say, in the form of a check or in the form of other things. But, you know, as I like said before, and I'll say it again, like if you're talking about surpluses and, you know, being a wash of money and the tax take being way more than was expected, then don't be surprised that people get irritated when they seem to be still struggling the same after the budget as they were before it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we haven't mentioned all the things that are going up in price. I mean, you know, fuel went up in price that same night. Um, cigarettes went up the next day. I mean, that's a big chunk of the population who wake up the next day. They won't feel their tax cuts until next February or March, but they feel the tax increases right away. So uh, even on the politics of it, like I, I think there's just no imagination there. People, if you're if you're going to spend that much money, you want to hope that people feel the benefit straight away. Because by the time they do feel the benefit, they won't be thanking you for it. They probably won't even remember it was in the budget. They will, but they do remember if the next day they go to buy their pack the cigarettes and suddenly it's I think it's something like seventeen or eighteen euro now for package.
1: My God, it's funny you should mention that because I was out with some friends a couple of weeks ago and um I was going to the shop and uh we were um, drinking in the bath actually in Bath Avenue and um I went up to the spa to get some Gavascon ironically and one of the people that I was with was a smoker. And she's like, Oh can you get me some cigarettes and I was like Yeah 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 like and she's like I'll give you money or I'll revolute you or whatever. And I was like oh yeah don't worry about it. Yeah. Cigarettes are like seventeen euro.
0: Yep. The, I, I should say I know this because occasionally in my local shop I'm behind people buying them. I don't buy them myself. Um, but I've I've, I've I've seen them, and and I also can tell you that I've been to the continent a good time, a good number of times this year, and they're four or five euro pack there. So the 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 price differential is is just huge. And maybe it's one. maybe it's making a public health impact. I don't know if it is, but uh, it, it's a tax that hits. I mean, smokers are disproportionately amongst the poorest classes in society, so you're screwing them immensely.
1: I mean, I just, I was shook. I couldn't, I, 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 I don't know, like, that just crept up without me really paying attention to it. But, like, I think I used to be a bit of a social smoker in my heyday. I think the last time I went in and bought a packet of cigarettes, they were probably seven euro or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's extraordinary and I no just one rocketed it. up
1: by a euro every year while I wasn't paying attention. Pretty well
0: seventy five cents this year, for example, so pretty much a euro every year. They've gone up. Um and it's one of those things that like it does disproportionately target the poorest people in society and everyone thinks it's fine because smoking's bad. I and mean, smoking is bad, and maybe it will maybe it, maybe it's having a huge impact. But it's also having a huge impact on on people who have an addiction um and can't shake it and have tried to shake it uh, and are being really heavily financially penalised. And by the way, it's it's driving the import of smoking cigarettes, which I think is almost as big as the drug trade in some parts of the country at least.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I that's a whole that's a whole other show, as they say, John, the the like the tax on food and cigarettes and alcohol and Mm. you know what I mean like the nanny state and all that we should get Keith on to have another rant about that and Keith is a dentist who absolutely despises smoking and he still thinks I don't know 17 euro just like if you're talking about somebody who smokes and somebody that 10 and 15 euro a week makes a difference like god and they don't quit smoking because it's too expensive so
0: Mm. you know Anyway, anyway, we will leave it there. On that note, we're sucking up to the smokers. Um, we live leave it there for another week. Um, hopefully next week, Sarah, the news will be better. Uh, although I fear, looking at Sky News as I'm talking to you, that it probably won't be. But we live in hope that it will be a little bit better next week. But until then, from Sarah and from me, that was, unfortunately, the week that really was.